0: You may have heard some of the following terms, okay? So I'm going to give you some terms here. Uh, time starved, okay? These are common terms in today's culture. Time starved, okay? That doesn't sound good, right? Or time poor, uh, leisure gap. How about that? Anybody, does that? am I speaking a foreign language here today? <laughs> um, the cult of busyness, the cult of busyness. How about this one? And this one might not be what it sounds like, Uh, harried, harried, I'm not talking about someone with a lot of hair, okay, this is the the act of being in a hurry, okay, harried, Uh, overwork culture, overwork culture, uh, or overscheduled, okay, I think that's probably a pretty common one. In today's culture, more than ever, we feel like we're pressed for time, don't we? We feel like there's just not enough hours in the day, right? We're running out of time constantly. But I have something that might uh, surprise you to tell you today. The amount of time that we have available in a day has not changed. It's never changed. We still get 24 hours every single day. As long as we're alive, right? Um, in fact, many modern conveniences, okay, washers and dryers, dishwashers, refrigerators, cars, all of these things have significantly shaved off hours of weekly household chores or running errands. Am I right? Right? All these modern things, they've made life easier, right? They, they've given us more convenience. We can do things faster uh, because of these modern conveniences i'm um, also did a little bit of research it's been since the 1960s and you might this might surprise you the average hours worked by an adult in america has gone down consistently over those decades from around 42 hours per week to an average of just over 38 hours over the last 4 decades that has happened and i would just say i know what it's like uh, you know, punching a clock and thing. You do things at home that you're, you know, that are work that don't get reported, right? A lot of you do extra things on off hours, and that so that's not part of those statistics. But the reported hours that has consistently gone down over the decades, not up. And so, if that's the case, if if we have these lives of convenience and we're working less hours, what is going on? Why are we feeling? So stressed. Why do we feel like we're running out of time constantly? We should have more time in our lives than any um, generation that came before us. Are we actually busier or do we just feel busier? I know what it's like to be and to feel busy. Uh, what I didn't initially uh, realize in the, in the midst of my busy life and, and even um, preparing for today's sermon is that there can be several factors in today's world of why we feel so busy. <clears throat> Recently published research came up with seven reasons. I'm going to share these really quickly. Um, and These won't be on the screen, so you just have to listen. Uh, the first one is called busyness as a badge of honor. A badge of honor. This is the idea of the busyness being glorified. It's to show how important we are, how much value we have. Our self-worth in this fast-paced society sometimes is tied up with how busy we are. In fact, many times um, the answer to the question, oh, how you doing, has changed from fine to, oh, I'm so busy, so busy. Uh, the second one that's mentioned is the busy- busyness as job security. Okay, is this, this outward sign of productivity and that you're loyal to the company that you work for? Okay, that's one of the other factors that um, affects our busyness. A busyness as FOMO. FOMO. Who knows what FOMO ma- means? Fear of missing out. Okay, we are we are busy because we're afraid we're going to miss out. Um, in fact, spending <coughs> habits have shifted over the last decade especially, from buying things to paying for experiences. Rather than buying up things, I'm taking that trip. You know, my parents never took the time to take that trip, so I'm going to do that. And I'm not going to buy the things they bought. Um, And then we pack our calendars and our social media feeds with um, a highlight reel of our trips. Or experiences. Uh, the fourth thing, busyness as a byproduct of the digital age. Oh, man, I could spend a whole sermon on this one. Uh, but we are connected 24-7, 365 in our culture. And our, the line between work and our regular lives are being blurred constantly. Um, and this promotes multitasking and this idea of we are never actually completely turned off. From work, uh, the fifth one busyness as a time filler. I mentioned how convenient our lives have become with all the modern things that have been introduced, and in this age of of choices right you don 't have to rely on that one store in town to buy your things from. You can do it on Amazon and have it here tomorrow okay you don 't even have to leave your couch or put on um, clothes that are not pajamas. <laughs> And so we have all these choices, we have all these ways to fill our time. We can scroll through Facebook, we can check our Insta feed, we can, you know, shop, we can Google search, we can do all these things, and instead of leaving idle moments in our life, we look for ways to fill it constantly in this day and age. Uh, The sixth thing that might be affecting your busyness is busyness as necessity. You know, maybe you just need to work multiple jobs in order to make ends meet. Maybe there are, are reasons why. Maybe you have children at home and you need to work those hours where they're, in, they're asleep or whatever. You, this is a necessity for you to be working as much as you are. And then the one that um, can be scary, the last one, busyness as escapism. It's an escape. I keep myself busy because if I don't, I know what happens uh, when I slow down and, and all of a sudden all of the pressures of life start to flood in. And I get overwhelmed. And so today we're going to discuss a topic that is not widely talked about in our churches today. Uh, But it's a lot like the spiritual formations of reading scripture, prayer, fasting, much like those types of things, today's topic of Sabbath has the potential to be an amazing piece of our spiritual formation as we grow to be more like Jesus. This is a topic that God has been working on me in my life, in the life of my family. And As I get started today, I want you to know that I have been heavily influenced uh, by multiple writers on this subject. Um, God has just kind of thrown a lot of these resources in my way over the last few years. Uh, One of them uh, has heavily influenced what I'm going to share with you today. His name is Pete Scazzaro, and he has written a number of books. He's a pastor out in New York City. Uh, The book um, where he speaks about Sabbath is called The Emotionally Healthy Leader. Uh, He also has a podcast by the same name that is fantastic. Whether you lead something or not, uh, there is a ton of just great material there. And so um, a lot of what you hear today at least has been rooted um, in some of the things that uh, Pete Scazzaro has said. And what uh, his sermon on Sabbath is actually what started me in this journey of implementing a form of Sabbath in my own life. So what is Sabbath? Is it, is it really God's expectation that we implement Sabbath in our lives? I mean, where does it even come from, right? Why is it important enough, Paul, for you to spend a whole Sunday sermon on this idea of Sabbath? And typically what you're going to find today is people fall into two different camps, um, and my hope today is that I'm going to pull you out of those camps and pull you somewhere into the middle. Okay? These two camps usually revolve around legalism. You have to keep the Sabbath, and you have to do it in this way. Okay? This is what the Pharisees taught back in the days of Jesus. Um, and then the other end of the spectrum is liberalism, and that's the idea that it's not important at all. It doesn't matter. You don't even have to think about it. Sabbath, is, that was something from the Old Testament, and we don't have to live that way anymore. And so those are the two ends of the spectrum. And I would say that the truth lies in the middle. So let's take a look at some of what Scripture has to say. Uh, did you know that Sabbath is actually found in the Ten Big Ones, the Ten Commandments? It's actually the longest of the Ten Commandments, and uh, I, I find it interesting that it's the one that we probably follow the least as followers of Jesus in this day and age. Uh, this is found in Deuteronomy 5, and we actually don't have the, the full passage up on the screen. Uh, we'll get back to a couple of the verses specifically later, but if you have your Bible or your Bible app, I'd, I'd love for you to open up to Deuteronomy. It's way in the front of the Bible. It's the fifth book. You can actually find uh, the Ten Commandments listed in two spots. Uh, The most common one is Exodus 20. Um, And that's the one that I always went to um, as I've grown up. But I I chose to use the list in Deuteronomy 5, which is the same list. They aren't different. Um, But there's a little more detail um, listed here in Deuteronomy 5 as it relates to the, uh, the commandment of Sabbath. And so Deuteronomy chapter 5, starting in verse 12... It says, Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy, as the Lord your God has commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all of your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son. And my boys just said, Hooray, in the back. Or daughter, or your male or female servants, nor your ox your donkey, your boxer, your golden doodle, your whatever animal you have in your home, nor any foreigner residing in your towns, so that your male and female servants may rest as you do. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. I don't know about you, especially that last line didn't really sound like it was optional. We're going to talk about that today. I think what I'm going to start with, though, is a few things that a Sabbath day is not. Okay? A Sabbath day is not the same thing as just taking a day off from work. Okay? It's not the same, and you'll see that as we go today. A Sabbath day is not an entire day set aside to prayer, reading of scripture, or meditating, those types of things. It's not an entire day devoted only to those things. A Sabbath day is not a specific day or time of the week with no room for flexibility. That was a double negative I did there. (laughs) And the last thing is a Sabbath day is not something that we should just take lightly. In contrast, a biblical Sabbath uh, was a 24-hour period where people stopped working, they enjoyed resting, they practiced delighting, and they contemplated God. The traditional Jewish Sabbath begins at sundown on Friday night and ends at sundown on Saturday. So from about 6 p.m. on Friday night until Saturday night at 6 That is their Sabbath. Now, in most Christian traditions, a Sabbath is observed on Sunday. Um, The Apostle Paul said something very specific about this in Romans 14, 5. He says, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day the same or alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. And so I would submit to you that his basic point is that we shouldn't sit back in judgment on what day and what time that people pick for Sabbath, because one day isn't necessarily more important than the next. It's an important thing for us to remember. Now, I just mentioned that in most Christian traditions, Sabbath is observed on Sundays. And so some of you are like, all right, that means I don't have to serve on Sundays because that's my Sabbath. I'm just not going to work. Great. That doesn't know. You're not getting away with that. Um, (laughs) We serve so others can Sabbath. They serve so you can Sabbath, right? That's how that should work in the context of serving. Anyways, we're not going to spend a lot of time there. But I know some of you are thinking that. I know it. What matters is setting aside a period of time and protecting it as much as possible, whatever that time looks like for you. Now, the fact that Sabbath happens weekly uh, places it in sharp contrast to our normal rhythms, right? The normal flow of our week or, or the lack of flow <laughs> that our weeks have uh, stand in co- sharp contrast to this idea of every single week taking 24 hours or whatever that time period is and just not doing any of that, right? And so our culture looks a little bit like this. This is called secular rhythm, okay? And it's not so much about the days, okay? It's the, it's the idea. It's the mindset behind what it looks like in our culture, right? Work, 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 ah, oh, vacation. Because our days off are not that restful most of the time. Work, 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 ah, oh, vacation came. And you know what the problem is with that? By the end of your vacation, yeah, you're tired now. And you, but, but so many times I find myself saying, oh, I can't wait to get back to my routine, you know, I don't love work, but I've got to get back to it, right? It's real life, so I've got to get back to that. And, and I kind of forget about that time of rest that I have every so often. In contrast, God's rhythm, the sacred rhythm, looks very different. Let's put that one up. This is the mindset behind the idea of Sabbath. There's Sabbath, and then there's work. And then there's Sabbath, and then there's work. There's Sabbath, and then there's work. I don't know how many times to say that. That's all it is. It's Sabbath, and then work. We need to think about this rhythm. Think about it in terms of the cycle of a day. Just a day in creation. There's light, and there's dark. Right? There's the sunrise, and there's the sunset. Every single day. The tides come in, and they go out. This is a very biblical, creation-grounded rhythm that God has instituted. Think of it in terms of a month or, or the year. We have the cycles of the moon that are regular. We have the seasons, at least here in Michigan. We pretty much have four seasons. Some of them bleed over into each other. We have cycles of growth and dormancy in our ground, in our soil. This idea of rest and work is all throughout creation. It was put there on purpose. Now what I want to make sure you don't hear this morning is that Paul said work is bad. <laughs> work is bad. It's not true. All work, paid, unpaid, all work is good. But it needs to have some boundaries placed around it. And the idea the practice of Sabbath can help us as we look to prioritize what our lives are going to look like. Just look back at what happened in Genesis chapter 2. Verse 15 says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat from it, you will certainly die. What do we see in that? Before sin showed up, God instituted work for man to do a good thing for him to do, but he also instituted some boundaries. Right? Work, take care of what I have given you to do, but there are some boundaries, Adam. And he says that to us as well. Work is good. Whatever work you have been given to do, do it to the best of your ability. Paid, unpaid, in the home, out of the home, On the road or online, wherever your work takes you, do it to the best of your ability. So work is good. Work is good. I found it interesting, and maybe you've noticed this um, if if you've read some of the stories of Jesus' ministry. uh, Some of the things that he did, in fact a lot of what he, he did, a lot of his teaching, a lot of his healing, he chose a specific day of the week to do it. Any idea what day it was? Sabbath. He did it on the Sabbath day. And I'm going to tell you, you can read about it in many places, that ruffled some feathers. Because it was the religious people who had bound up Sabbath into this heavy load that was being placed on the backs of the people. And they didn't know any better. And it was hard for them to keep the sabbath it was very strict they couldn't do anything and here comes jesus healing teaching walking farther than he should have pulling his his followers were pulling grain from a field as they walked and then that caused a stir he was always doing things to turn the culture upside down and here's just another example and this group of Pharisees approached him one time and, and said, you know, what are you doing healing on the Sabbath day? And in Mark 2, Jesus had the perfect answer. He said, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made for man, not mad for the, man for the Sabbath. Sabbath was God's gift to his people. And rather than seeing it as a burden that was so hard to carry, a burden that's going to get in the way of your schedules and mine, it's going to get in the way of your to-do list and the things that, that you have planned for the week, we need to remember that life is more than work. Life is about God, and God gave us this as a gift. I mentioned a minute ago that biblical Sabbath is a 24-hour block of time where we stop work, we enjoy rest, we practice delight, and we contemplate God. And so let's take a look at those four things a little closer. Uh, The first characteristic of Sabbath is to stop work. Stop. Just stop. This is a day when we cease all work. This is a time period where we are committed to not working paid or unpaid. Now, there's some cha- caveats to that. But the basic idea is to stop all work. And this is really hard to take. Um, I fail weekly at this. <clears throat> and it's hard for us to take It's hard for us to acknowledge, to place limitations on ourselves, right? Because remember what I said about our culture. What we do is what we are known by, right? And so for us to stop, that's a scary thing. It's hard for me to be honest with the fact that the sun is going to rise again tomorrow, whether I'm here or not. Those tides are going to keep coming in and out, whether Paul Sisko is on this planet or not. And to think that the work that I do regularly could go on with somebody else, is scary because that's where my worth is right that's what we do so often we're way too concerned with keeping busy in this day and age and we don't really know and i think we don't want to know what's going to happen if we stop on a regular basis we think a normal day off and those occasional vacations are enough and like I said, we so often can't wait to get back to the r- routine and rhythm of our workday because that's what real life is, right? It's it's that schedule. That that's real life. All the other things just happen where we can around that schedule. And this is all because we have a distorted view of our worth. We are too wrapped up in what we do. And busy being busy Helps us feel less vulnerable. Being busy helps us feel more important. Overworking often helps us feel less inadequate because we are doing something. As long as I stay busy, I can outrun that voice in my head that says, I'm not good enough. That voice that says, I'm not safe enough, or thin enough, or successful enough, or you fill in the blank enough. If we stop, that voice gets louder and tells us we're not enough. And actually, what we do when we choose to stop is that we acknowledge that we do have limitations. And that is humbling. We do have limitations, and, and sooner or later, every person in this room, and I'm, I sure hope this isn't a downer for you today, every person in this room, sooner or later, we're going to run out of time to finish what we want to do. Those goals, those projects, those trips, those things that we think we want to do in the future, someday we're going to run out of time to do all of those. We'll never, it'll never be enough time. But when we choose to stop, another thing we acknowledge is that God is on his throne. And that, you know what? He's managing pretty well. I don't need to take that on me. He's got it. He's got it figured out. Over the last six months or so, I've been intentionally, and Stephanie along with me, we've been attempting to implement a Sabbath day. It's it's a day of taking a step back from anything related to my role as a pastor. I don't answer emails. I don't take or return phone calls, texts, Facebook messages or write sermons. I don't study with the intent of writing a sermon. I don't read a book with the intent of writing a sermon. Any tasks related to my role. Caveat, I have to be available in emergencies. Um, True emergencies. (laughs) Sometimes what I think is an emergency isn't what everyone, you know. We have different ideas of what an emergency is. Um, So that is a caveat for me um, in my job. But typically, you won't get a response from me via text or Facebook or any of those things when I take my Sabbath. But I also try to step back from my unpaid work. There are some caveats there as well. But that might include things like yard work. I don't want to do yard work on my Sabbath. Uh, home improvement projects, those types of things. Um, I try not to do any of those things. Now, if I decided, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and take a weekly, um, you know, modern Christian um, approach to Sabbath. And, and from Saturday sunset to Sunday sunset, I'm not doing any work related to me being your pastor think about that time frame. We're, we're in the middle of that right now. I don't think that would work out very well. I, I don't think um, that um, our leaders at Shiloh would be very happy with me if I decided to take, what was that? Wouldn't I wouldn't probably have a job. I was skirting around that, but that's what would probably happen if I chose today to be my Sabbath day. Okay. So as a pastor, I've had to look at my week. I have to find the most appropriate time to do that. A lot of pastors will take Mondays off um, because it's just a good time to just, it was a long week, you know, weekend. I actually really like working Mondays, and you can think I'm weird. That's fine. You probably already do. Um, But (laughs) I really enjoy Mondays. It's a restart for me. It's it's. All right, Monday, looking forward to next Sunday. That's, and I, I really enjoy that. I like getting my checklist set up. I like starting over. I just really like Monday. And so Fridays um, have traditionally been my day off uh, during the week. And so for me, that is the best time for me to implement a Sabbath, is during a normal day off. But it's so much more than that. This allows me to disconnect from my normal rhythm of work And again, with the exception of emergencies, not to answer messages, not to pick up my phone, um, I actually um, have to remove my email, uh, Gmail app from my phone every Friday. I actually drag it to a folder, like in the second page, so I can't see it, because if that notification pops up, what do I want to do? Yeah, and you know what else? Even if a notification doesn't pop up, I still it's so ingrained in me just to check my email. I'm just going to quick check. No, I can't do it. So I have to actually move my app from one screen to the next to keep myself on Sabbath. What day, what time, what stretch of time might already be working in your mind say, you know what, I have this, this window of time that I might be able to implement some of these things. It's going to be different. It's going to be different for you than it is for me. And it's different for each of you from each other. It, we're all going to have a different availability. And so stopping is the first characteristic of Sabbath. The second one is that we need to enjoy rest. Enjoy rest. And these next three kind of go together. So we'll talk about them one at a time. But you'll, you'll hear some overlap. Once we've stopped, you have to stop First. Once we stop, we can more readily accept God's invitation to rest. And he actually set the example for us. You probably um, have heard of this, or at least um, the idea of it. Genesis chapter 2, verse 2 and 3, this is the end of creation. And it says, by the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all of the work of creating that he had done. And so on the seventh day, it wasn't necessarily Saturday, it was just the seventh day, Um, God was just so worn out after all of the work he had done, he just had to rest, right? Please someone say no. God doesn't need rest. He didn't need to take a nap, right? Yeah, yeah, (laughs) he probably did. He probably did. Do you know why he did that? It's not so he could rest. It's so he could set an example for you and for me. He's showing us what it looks like to work and also to rest. It's okay to have some space in your life to rest. We should engage in activities that restore and replenish us. This list would be different for everybody, but taking a nap. Hiking, reading, eating good food, enjoying a good hobby. The key is resting from your, work, your paid and unpaid work. And the activities that restore and replenish you probably are different from everybody else in the room. might overlap with some. I mentioned earlier I don't want to do yard work on my Sabbath. But there might be some of you crazy people in the room that yard work is just the thing that would bring you joy and replenishment. Cooking might be the last thing you want to do if you're taking a step back from your normal work but for others like my wife it might really recharge you to cook a meal the key to remember is that removing the activities you plan on resting from may require some planning okay so when you're ready when your sabbath is rolling around if you don't want to do yard work well what does that mean i i probably need to cut the grass that before or after right don't wait till that day to do it. Okay, just make a plan. Do it a different day. Uh, if you don't want to cook on your Sabbath, you could make a meal ahead and freeze it, or you could plan. Hey, that's the night we go out to dinner. You have to plan ahead. On my Sabbath day, I enjoy spending uh, time with my wife. We usually go out for breakfast or or for lunch or do some shopping or all the above. We have a weekly uh, check-in with our calendar and with uh, just some questions we constantly ask each other every week just to stay in touch and, and close. And then we head back home. A lot of times I'll try to do some reading, uh, reading that's not related to an upcoming sermon series. Uh, Sometimes I'll snooze in my chair. Uh, Sometimes I'll snooze while I'm reading. I don't know how that works, but I do it. Um, Or I catch up on a television show. The important thing is to stop work and enjoy your rest. The third characteristic of Sabbath is to practice delight. And this is where this really starts to overlap. After God finished his work of creation, he said, it was very good. It was very good. This wasn't God saying, glad that's over, or man, am I tired. He said it was very good. He joyfully recognized the accomplishment that he had done over those six days. And he invites us to do the same. Again, we're all different. We find enjoyment in different things, but the question that you need to ask yourselves related to Sabbath is, what gives me joy? What gives me delight? What do I enjoy doing? Again, maybe you like to be in nature. Maybe hunting or fishing or hiking or going to the beach, gardening, mowing the grass. Maybe you're more of a foodie, and so, you know, tasting, smelling, savoring something new, trying a new restaurant. Maybe you're a reader and and you love books. Maybe you'd like to spend a couple hours at the library or in a really cool bookstore. However you answer that question, what gives me joy, what gives me delight, should be a major part of how you Sabbath. Stop, rest, delight. The fourth characteristic is to contemplate God. Contemplate God. See, the central focus of our Sabbath should be contemplating, pondering, thinking about the love of God and what he has done for us. Uh, what makes a Sabbath something biblical is the fact that we just read in Deuteronomy that it is holy to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. We don't just take, we don't take time off from God. We actually draw closer to him through the ways we enjoy it. And that's what makes Sabbath so different from just a day off. It is focused on recognizing what God has done for us. It's an invitation to see the invisible in in the visible. So you look around at creation. You look at the things you enjoy, the people, um, the food, the art, the sports, the hobbies. You look at those things in a different light and you thank God for them. And you see see his act of creation in, in nature. And you see... People made in his image that you enjoy spending time with and you thank him for those things. You, you recognize the hidden ways that God's goodness is at work in your life. You don't necessarily spend the, spend the entire day in prayer or meditation or studying scripture, although those activities would make a great piece of your Sabbath. But the idea of contemplation really is more specifically focused on the aspects of God's love that become obvious to us when we slow down and we experience the gift that he gives us every single day. I read these verses last week, but Psalm 19:1 and 2 says, The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech, and night after night, they reveal knowledge. And just by looking at the stars, you can just praise Him. If you don't stop to notice the stars, you're not going to praise Him for them. You need to slow down, stop, acknowledge what He has done in this world. Intentionally looking for His glory. Remember, our last series ended, it's all about His glory. And we look for that glory in creation and in the gifts that he gives us. Again, that can include the people around us. Hobbies, music, you name it. And in this way, contemplation is really an extension of delight. It's while you're doing those things that you contemplate how good God is. Stop, rest, delight, contemplate. Now, 3,500 years ago, when Sabbath as a concept was introduced by God, it was just as revolutionary and countercultural as it is today. Maybe for some different reasons, but it shook people up when God suggested they stop. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's an interesting part of this passage, and this is why I chose Deuteronomy instead of Exodus, because this piece is included within the Sabbath. Uh, commandment. Verse 15, the first part of it says, remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord God brought you out of there with a mighty hand, power, and an outstretched arm of love. Remember where you were as people. As they received this commandment, The Israelites had been slaves for over 400 years. Seven days a week, 365 days a year, they worked. Think about how ingrained slavery would be after 400 years. Think about your parents, your grandparents, your great grandparents, your great great grandparents. Maybe they arrived on the Mayflower in 1620, 400 years ago. Ever since that moment, your family have been slaves. 400 years. Think how ingrained this must have been in their lives, in their hearts, in their minds. The work that they were expected to do. There was one point where God directed Moses to have a conversation with Pharaoh while they were still enslaved. This won't be on the screen, but in Exodus chapter 5, Moses says, Would you just let us go out into the wilderness? Let us worship our God. Let us have some time so that we can go worship our God. Sounds reasonable. After 400 years of slavery... Pharaoh replied this way, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. And then Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. That same day, Pharaoh gave this order to the slave drivers and overseers in charge of the people. You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own straw, but require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They are lazy. That is why they are crying out, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the people so that they keep working and pay no attention to lies. They never stopped. They never rested. They weren't allowed to. They never delighted. But then God stepped into the story. And he sent his man Moses and his brother Aaron to eventually lead those slaves out of slavery And it was on that journey that God broke the power of Pharaoh and his oppression over the Israelites. He had broken that hold that he had, and and he gave his people a new identity. It was an identity that was no longer based in their work. It wasn't based in what they did. It was based on who now they belong to. They weren't slaves under Pharaoh's thumb any longer. Now they were sons and daughters of the living God. Yahweh was their God. And they were beginning to experience his love and, their, and his grace in their lives that they had never experienced before. All they had were these cruel taskmasters beating them into submission and to work. And it says, part of his covenant, God's covenant with Israel That he offered this gift of Sabbath. Sabbath takes on a whole new meaning when you realize when God implemented it, why these people needed rest in their life. And sadly, many of us still live under a harsh and controlling taskmaster. It's kind of like we have a little Pharaoh up in our minds. He lives inside our heads and he tells us, we can't stop, you're lazy. Work harder. Our culture enslaves us by telling us that our value is in what we achieve or or what we produce. We're useless unless we accomplish more. And, And no matter what it costs you, you're useless unless you respond that way. You're only doing well if it's bigger, if it's better, if you're making more money. And so God offers us this gift of Sabbath. And if we can find a way to accept it, apply it into our lives, we are publicly then choosing and we're proclaiming to the world that we are not slaves. We're not slaves to those taskmasters anymore. We are free. We're free men and women. We've been purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ. And he is giving us the ability to rest. Remember, in the middle of Sabbath, the expectation is that God is going to teach you something when you choose to set aside work. Remember that part about contemplating God. He's going to teach you something, but it requires some significant thought in advance planning. I wouldn't suggest to you at all today, run out of here and pull out your calendar and say, yeah, that's it, done. Okay, don't do that. You need to take time with us. You need to pray about this. I want to leave you with some really practical steps, hopefully, here today. The first thing you need to do is research. Do some research. Uh, there are some really excellent books on the subject. Um, I've brought a few, uh, they're back on the table here, and I'll actually be at that table after the service. I'd love to hear if any of you have ever implemented some of these things in your life, or if you have questions about that, or um, want to just look at the books, I'd love to chat with you back there today. Um, but there's a lot of books out there. You could just search uh, Sabbath and find a bunch. I mentioned Schizero's book, um, it's just a piece of uh, the book that's talking about Sabbath, um, There's another one that I love. It's a simple little read by Kevin DeYoung called Crazy Busy. Uh, Phenomenal. It's not only about Sabbath, but it's about this whole idea of being busy um, and how we can overcome some of that. There's a couple others back there as well. A couple books I don't have, but I printed out the covers so you can see what they look like. Uh, There's one by a man named Jefferson Bethke. Um, The title is To Hell with the Hustle. And, you know, I don't like to talk like that. Um, but that's, he's not saying in a crass way. He's saying the idea of hustling and being busy doesn't come from God. <laughs> it comes from somewhere else, okay? And, and that's the, the idea behind his book. A little controversial maybe there, but probably a really good read. I've read some of his other stuff really good. Uh, another one that's really popular right now is by John Mark Comer called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, And you can stop back and and check that. But what I would just say is pick a book that resonates with you. Maybe your reading style or just, you know, I I choose books a lot of times by the cover, just how it looks like, you know, and sometimes what it feels like. Ooh, I like to feel that book. I think I'll read that one. Um, But pick one that resonates with you. And then I would encourage you to avoid speed reading it. Because if you try to speed read it, you are going to miss out. Take your time. Work through it, digest it, uh, go through it slowly so that you can understand it. Uh, The second practical step is to select a time frame. So identifying a 24-hour period of time would be ideal. I'm just going to tell you that it would be ideal. If you can find time in your schedule, and I know it sounds ridiculous, it's possible Okay, and maybe this idea of Saturday at 6 to Sunday at 6 works perfectly for you. That doesn't work for me. It might be perfect for you to be able to set aside that time. Uh, But the key is that you find a day in time or stretch of time that works for your family situation. Find an hour. Start there. If you are very busy in your life, find an hour. And do your best to stop, rest, um, delight, and contemplate God. If you can do more than that, do it. Uh, the key is to land on a consistent day, as opposed to hopping around on different days every week. And, and maybe that's the way it works for you, and that's okay. The key is having consistency and a, and a balanced rhythm of work and rest. I'm going to guarantee you this is going to take some time. It's going to involve changes in your routine, but you need to try your best to commit to that time frame as much as possible. third thing you want to do is make a list. I'm a list tape maker, so this is great. Make a list of things that bring you delight or joy. And that sounds easy, but it's going to take a little bit of work. You need to get outside of your norm and think, okay, what are the things that fill me up? One the thing, that's delight. That's the idea of delight. It fills you up. Especially if it's been a while since you've done something that fills you up. It might take you a little bit of time. Think about places, activities, people that energize you or don't energize you. Because <laughs> you might need to implement some boundaries there and say, that person doesn't energize me. I think I'm going to wait till after my Sabbath to make that phone call. You may want to include some things you've thought that you might like to do, but you haven't yet done. Remember, the key question to ask is, what gives you joy? What gives you delight? Fourth, you need to prepare. Now, all of these practical steps are part of preparation, but this step is specific to each week, your Sabbath each week. What do I need to do the other six days of the week so that I can fully enjoy my Sabbath on day seven? What are the things I need to do? Do I need to cut that grass so I'm not giving it a dirty look <laughs> when I get home? You know, from my morning out with my wife, and the grass is too long, and I'm looking at it and thinking, oh, I should just cut it. Like, no, I probably then should cut it earlier in the week, right? Because I don't want it to distract me. Uh, this this probably pertains especially to your unpaid work. So you will find yourself doing these things if you don't make a list of things that you will and won't do. You need to make a list. In fact, Scazzaro suggests that you ought to begin your transition to Sabbath three or four hours before it starts. If you have a lot of phone calls as part of your work, or you have emails to send, like use that time, schedule that time for anything that can't wait through a 24-hour period. Do it now. Get it out of the way so that you are prepared. Maybe you need to go buy your groceries during those last few hours. Maybe you need to pay your bills Whatever it is related to the work that needs to continue, do it ahead of time and plan it out. The last practical step is to experiment. You need to define the details around your Sabbath, the time frame, what you will and won't do, but understand that you may need to make some changes as you go. Probably will. Maybe even from week to week, and that's fine. I mentioned all of our Sabbaths may look very different and that's not only okay it's necessary it's necessary all of us are in different seasons of life some of us have very small children (laughs) good luck 24 hours right I'm sorry I'm not calling you out over here Millie but um, yeah 24 hours of of, you know peace and quiet I bet that sounds like heaven Um, probably unreasonable (laughs) at that stage of life but you can find those times that may work for you. Um, and I, I'm sorry, I'm also not trying to throw Mike under the bus, but maybe Mike's Sabbath doesn't have to perfectly coincide with Millie's, and so maybe he can take Hunter and allow Millie to have her Sabbath, right? I'm, I'm sorry, I'm not, I'm not interfering. I'm not trying to interfere. I didn't even write that down. I'm sorry, it just came out. Um <laughs> We'll have unique concerns that will affect each of our ability in different seasons of our life to fully experience Sabbath. The important thing is to remember the Sabbath. Remember, this is a great quote from Schizero: Sabbath is about working from a place of rest as much as it is resting from your work. That's what makes it different from a day off, too. Sabbath is about working from a place of rest as much as it is resting from your work. Above all else, and you might just say, this isn't for me, Paul, that was a waste of my morning. (laughs) If you remember nothing else, I want you to remember that Sabbath is a gift from God. It can be part of your spiritual growth. He wants it to be. And we would all do well to accept that gift And to whatever extent we can, make it a part of our busy lives. Let's pray.